It is another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, the question I think that is first and foremost on everybody's mind right now in these very uncertain times with the outbreak of the coronavirus is, is how do you invest in this scenario? The markets are just all over the place. They're up spectacularly, you know, one day, and then they drop again like a rock. And what do you do? What's the best approach here? Well, I think the key is to really understanding how long this pandemic will last. If you can basically give yourself a number of investment scenarios, a best-case scenario, a worst-case scenario, and then you watch and see how things unfold. If it looks like the pandemic is going to be a little more abbreviated in time frame, you can execute one strategy. If it looks like globally we're going to completely blunder this thing, then you look at another. So I think the way to approach this is that with the notes we have today, we're going to talk about best-case scenario. We're going to talk about worst-case containment scenario. We'll talk about most likely scenario. Then we'll get into if we have a short-term to medium-term recession, if we have a long recession, in other words, it takes them a long time to contain this, and two different investment strategies associated with each different time frame. So if you do that, then you have a flexible strategy going into this because the last thing you really want to do, Gord, is get so tightly bound up to what you're going to do or a plan that you lose sight of and you lose the flexibility to change because this whole pandemic, what is going to solve it is some very concentrated efforts by government, by healthcare, by individuals. And frankly, right now, we just don't know how effective all those efforts are going to be. And if they're very effective, well, then you go to plan A. If they're not very effective, you go to plan B. So you want to start with the best case scenario. And I suppose the best case scenario is we get a handle on this thing pretty quickly. But the naysayer in me says that doesn't appear to be the case, especially what we see happening down in the States, right? Exactly. So if we look at Singapore and we look at Taiwan, they've done a very, very good job, even though they have close proximity to China and with both of them being banking and manufacturing centers, there's a lot of people flying back and forth. But even with that close proximity, they've been able to put a limit or a lid on the spread of the virus so that they've had a very limited number of, of cases. If you look at China, in Wuhan, China, which is ground zero for the pandemic, it started the last week of the year, sort of Christmas week. And we're just hearing now that the Chinese government has said they'll lift the lockdown on that city April 8th. So if North America can be as successful at controlling the spread of the virus as China was, it means that we've got about three months of hard slogging. And that puts us to about mid-July. But like you say, is that going to happen? Because it looks like in North America, our approach to handling the pandemic is more missed than hit. Yeah, that's and, and the talk about opening up again too soon and having the virus rebound because there's still no antidote for it. 
a vaccine of any sort. That's the, the fear that a lot of medical experts seem to be espousing. So that's part of the best case scenario if we get it under control. The worst case scenario is it just keeps growing exponentially, isn't it? Yes, and uh, currently the latest numbers I've seen have shown that the number of cases worldwide is doubling every three and a half days. So we're at the point where if you look at a chart, it's a, we're looking at the point where it's about to explode to the upside. So current cases are about, well, when I did this, the numbers, current cases were about 375, and that was three or four days ago. Current cases now are about 600,000. But if you go from 375,000, when I actually crunch the numbers, one week out, you have 1.5 million if it compounds at 22% a day or doubles every three and a half days. In week two, it goes to 6 million worldwide. In week three, 24 million worldwide. In week four, 96 million worldwide. So really over the next month, we're going to be able to see how effective these containment efforts are because if they aren't, from 96 million, well, three days later, it goes to virtually 192 million, 192 yeah. million, give or take, yeah. Yeah, 192 million, give or take, and then it goes to 400 million, then 800 million, and then uh, 1.6 billion. So unless they get this under control, just the laws of compounding and the geometric growth of this, means that it's going to get out of control very, very quickly. And if you go back and look at there's one historic uh, outbreak that we have some fairly good information on, and that's the Spanish flu in 1918. And, of course, in 1918, that was in the middle of World War I, and we had soldiers and the U.S. had soldiers in Europe. And, of course, they brought back the Spanish flu, that Spanish flu ran for 18 months. It affected 500 million people, actually killed 50 million people. And so if the COVID-19 runs the same pattern, it would exhaust itself uh, in the summer of 2021 because viruses seem to lose their potency over time. And, of course, if it takes 18 months for this thing to wear itself out, in worst-case scenario, that would put it at literally, well, we're five months into it now, so uh, we've got another 13 months to go before this thing finally peters out. So if that happens, then uh, we have an investment strategy for that. But I think, like most things, it's going to end up with, uh, you know, the old three bears story. It's not, the porridge is not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that we're looking for a most likely scenario because, you know, in your radio career, Gord, you remember all the different uh, doomsday projections we had over SARS, MERS, H1N1, Ebola, AIDS. Yeah, they never I, did turn out, did they? No, I, I, I re was resharing re that with a friend of mine recently that we had a battle plan in place when H1N1 came along. And it was, you know, we're going to broadcast from our homes, we were going to do this, that, and the other thing. We put the plans in place, but luckily we got a handle on the thing before it got too bad. This one, this is a whole different scenario. I, you know, everybody's making plans, it seems, on the fly, Ron. And, that, and that's what's a little bit frightening. It's, it's nice that people are engaged and trying to find solutions, but you wonder if some of the triggers aren't being pulled a little too quickly here. Yes, exactly. And 
So if, if you go look at past scenarios and projections of, of these different infections that we've had affecting us, and I even go back and remember AIDS. When AIDS first came out in the 70s, I saw computer models that showed that you know, two-thirds of the Earth was going to get affected by AIDS, and everybody would essentially be dying in six to nine months. Well, uh, we certainly have not been completely effective in dealing with it, but certainly medical science has come a long way since then. And, of course, AIDS didn't prove to be nearly as catastrophic as everybody said they did. it would. So, you know, a most likely scenario, if you take the worst-case scenario and you take the sunshine scenario, you're probably going to end up with something in between. Okay, so now the question, I think, and I've heard it asked in a lot of these news conferences that you see the Prime Minister involved in, you see the President of the States involved in, are we in a recession? I, I kind of get the feeling we are, aren't we? The problem with trying to determine whether you're in a recession or not is that the statistics aren't going to tell you exactly what happened for three to six months from now. So you're really not going to get a clear idea where you're at today till all the statistics get crunched and the numbers get projected. And so all you can do is look at anecdotal evidence. I mean, just look around you when you've got a million people in Canada applying for unemployment benefits. Three million in the states, right? And three million in the states. And we're and we're ahead of the states. They're just getting started on this because only a couple of the big states, New York and California, and, and um, I, you know, Washington, obviously, and uh, Oregon. But most states are pretty laissez-faire about this whole thing. And, you know, I mean, you look at the big motorcycle rally this summer, Sturgis, where mm-hmm. they get, you know, they get a quarter million people at least. They're still planning to go ahead with that rally. And so there's, there's states like like the Dakotas, which just sort of haven't figured this out yet. And I, so I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better and we really get a chance to see the total effect. But in places where they're taking this seriously, you know, I, I went for a walk last night and I looked down the street for two miles and it was about 10 o'clock at night and I didn't see one car out. In fact, I could hardly even, I heard one dog barking. Well, That's how quiet it is out there right now. Well, it's the same thing in New York City. I, I watched uh, a recap last night on one of the networks, and they showed Broadway in New- one car, <laughs> you know, at night. But still, uh, yeah, it, it, we're in shutdown here. You're absolutely in shutdown mode. And if you're in shutdown mode, what that means is that nobody's working. Nobody's making any money. They might be spending money at Amazon or eBay, but most businesses are in the fight for their life right now. And so will that have show up in the numbers? Well, the numbers are showing the last quarter, and most of the shutdowns really only took a place in the last week or so. So we're not going to see these numbers for a while. I suspect that we've been in a recession uh, for the last month anyways, and I would suspect in the U.S. they are very close to recession, and probably by April will have slid into one. So I think that you have to just look around at the anecdotal evidence and say, yeah, we're going into recession. There's just no way you can have everybody stay home for a month and it not go into a recession. 
So we look then, do we try to figure out how long this is going to last then? Is that, and we don't know, it's an unknown. So how do you peg that down? So there again, a person has to just sit back and be patient and watch what happens rather than just jump into the markets right away. So if it looks like we have a short or medium recession, and typically if you have a short-term recession, you have what's called a V-shaped recovery, where you have a dramatic drop, people see the end of the recession, markets tend to view things six to nine months ahead of time. So if markets are looking ahead six to nine months and they're, they see sunshine at the end of the tunnel, investors start investing early. So if we have this recession that maybe maybe takes the average recession last 14 months, you know, we could see in the next couple months a V-shaped recovery where stocks already start recovering. In fact, we might have already seen that. But what you do in a case like that is many of the names that I know that I've always wanted to own or I have a position in, I just was never able to buy enough of them at the time. Maybe I didn't have the money, but, you know, names like... Waste Management, Microsoft, Google, Visa, MasterCard, Berkshire Hathaway, Starbucks, Disney, Amazon, Pepsi, Honeywell. And I'm sure that most listeners that are into the markets have a list of 20 or 30 companies that are high, high quality that they wish they'd always wanted to own them, but they could never justify the high price. Well, many of these stocks are down as much as 50 to 60% here this week. And if it gets even worse, these are the kind of names you want to start buying in weakness because that once that V-shaped recovery starts and we've seen how volatile markets can be, they can leave you behind very, very quickly. Okay, so if we've talked about you know buying on strengths, buying on weaknesses and things like that, are there some other strategies we should be thinking here? Like, Do we have a sort of a checkpoint of, of items that we should look at? Like healthcare, you still, I think it's front and center on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. So if you're looking at uh, a short-term recovery, get yourself a wish list or a watch list of things you've always wanted to own. Have some price points where if it gets down to those levels or put in a limit order, it's called, of stocks on your wish or watch list. And once they get to that level, uh, buy them. Now, if we have a long-term recession, in other words, we really screw up containing coronavirus, and we have a long recession that devastates a lot of businesses, a lot of closures, and high unemployment, and that has a long, slow recovery. We would call that a U-shaped recovery, where it, it bottoms out over a long period of time before it starts going up. Uh, the companies you want to look at are companies that are extraordinarily resilient or companies that will tend to do well in an environment where you have a, an economy, basically, that's unraveling. So because it's a market of stocks, not a stock market, stocks react differently. So you can look at the average, and it might be down 500 points on the day, but if you parse it out, you'll see that in there, there are companies that have actually done quite well, and those are the kind of companies that you want to look at. Companies that historically, in bad, bad markets, have done much, much better than others. So especially when they're cheap, if you can buy them, 
uh, you can do extraordinarily well with those kind of companies because they're the kind of names that are profitable and in many cases are increasing their profits even in bad markets. So let's talk about healthcare. Let's let's focus in on a few sectors here. What do you like there? Well, companies that make vaccines, produce and distribute medical supplies like saline, rubber gloves, masks, uh, they're in biotechnology or produce drugs. These are worth keeping your eye on. And so there's a lot of them out there, but just three examples of names in that sector would be Sanofi, GlaxoSmithKline, the big British company, and Gilead. So those are three names, but there's dozens out out there that are working on uh, drugs, that are working on new vaccines, that are really working hard to provide the things like the rubber gloves and the masks and the ventilators and the things that we really need to get in front of this virus. So we're talking here about individual stocks, Ron, and I hearken back to one of our previous episodes. Could we consider an ETF that has a basket of these companies? It's very hard to get a basket of of these particular names because you have to look at the individual companies, and some healthcare companies aren't really going to be affected one way or the other. So you have to look at specific names. So this is a kind of market where you can play a basket, but I think you're going to make more money if you look at individual companies. Okay, let's talk one of our favorites, and we've we've hearkened to this many times, water utilities. We all need them. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm still drinking water. Yeah. I'm still cooking with it, and I'm still taking a bath, much to everybody's relief. <laughs> so maybe water utilities will get cheaper in a pullback. They've been very, very expensive till now. But, you know, if, if what you want to watch for is many large institutions, when they get into the market, they want to leverage themselves. In other words, if they've got a million dollars that they put of their own money in, they like to borrow three or four or five million to leverage it up so that it magnifies the returns. The problem is that it also magnifies their losses. And typically, they're borrowing from the large banks and investment firms, which will give them a margin call if things go down. And if you get a margin call, you're forced to sell to uh, meet that margin call or provide enough cash to pay back the lender, And which means that if you get a margin call, it's often the biggest, strongest, most liquid companies that get taken out of your portfolio first. And so if things get really tough expect to see even some of the bigger names, the highest quality names, come down in price because institutions have to sell. Not that they want to sell, but they are forced to sell by the banks to pay off their loans. Okay, a couple of our favorites there, as always, are American Waterworks and Aqua America. Pawn shops, boy, if if people have felt the crunch, they've been out of work for a while, they'll turn to pawning some of their stuff to try to get back on their feet, won't they? Exactly. Now, in the 2000 to two, 2007 to 2009 recession, pawn shops were one of the best performing categories. Now, at the beginning of the recession, they dropped like a stone. But by the time we got into about the middle of the recession, you started to see people that were selling off things so that they could uh, uh, meet their debt payments. And, you know, you go into a pawn shop, you, you think that you're, all you're going to see there is junk. But if you, if you look at Pawn Stars, 
which is that reality TV show. Yeah, you see some of the stuff that comes into that place, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Rolex watches, Ferrari cars, uh, just amazing things. And so pawn shops, you know, they're buying stuff at 20 cents on the dollar, probably at best, and they're selling it at 50 to 60 cents on the dollar. So there's a huge spread in there for them. And by about the middle of a recession, these companies are full of merchandise. I've gone into a pawn shop in 2008, and I bought some uh, stereo equipment, and I bought some brand-name stuff that was still in the box at literally half price. And I would say if you are liquid right now, you've got some cash, and you're looking at buying some high-end sound equipment or you're looking at, at you know, I've seen brand-new Harley-Davidson motorcycles sitting on some of these lots. Photographic so, equipment and stuff, yeah. Oh, exactly. All kinds of electronic stuff. If you've got some cash, when the recession really starts to feel its bite, uh, if you're not going to buy pawn shop stock, maybe just go out to a pawn shop and start looking through a few of these places because you'd be amazed at the bargains that you can get. And you've got the cash, you can pick things up cheap. So one example there is a company called First Cash Financial Services. Yes, and they're a big U.S. pawn shop. They're also through Latin America. So uh, they're, they're pretty well diversified, and that was just one name. If you Google pawn shops, you'll see you'll see a long list of publicly traded ones. So that was just one that I gave as an example. Okay, e-commerce, we've touched on this. A lot of people right now, they're ordering, they're not, they can't get out of their homes. So they're ordering from Amazon and places like, well, other online retailers, right? Yeah, and you look at Amazon, and they've said that they're going to hire 100,000 people here over the next month because they can't handle the orders. My wife was on Amazon this morning. They're literally they on their across their banner saying that it's unlikely that you're going to get a delivery for the next three or four weeks. So mm -hmm. these guys are just swamped right now, and this is a business that isn't going to slow down. And of course, Amazon isn't the only company in e-commerce. You look at Walmart. You look at the U.S. Uh, big U.S. food company Kroger. They're doing a lot of delivery so you can order online and you can you can actually get delivery so uh, there's lots of ways to play this but e-commerce if people are stuck at home is going to be a very big growth area the other one is and i think this one's people maybe haven't thought of it but uh, telecoms i mean i can't i can't recall ever texting more in my life than i have the last couple of weeks you get friends reaching out they're sitting at home they're isolated they're looking through their contact list oh gee i haven't talked to gord for a while and you get a text from them so you're going back and forth. So telecoms might be a good place to look, too. Yeah, people, like you say, they're phoning, they're texting, they're tweeting, they're Instagramming. And all of these services are in the telco's bailiwick. So examples of Verizon in the U.S., Bell, Telus, Shaw, these are all companies that are going to benefit greatly the longer this goes because most commerce is going to become be done online because you can't do it in person. Even a tire store that I talked to the other day, I want to get some my winter tires taken off, they told me, well, you email us what you want to do, leave your car there, drop the keys in the box, then arrange your own ride home, 
We'll pick up the keys. We'll sanitize the car. We'll put it up on the lift. We'll change the tires. We'll put them in the car. Then we'll email you, and then you can come and pick up your vehicle, and the key, you need a second set of keys because your keys will be under the mat. And, of course, they'll take your visa number, and they'll, they'll do it online. So if, if that continues for a while, you know, the, all this is being done by telephone or email, and so these guys are going to be huge beneficiaries of this. Okay, the other one is uh, is dollar stores, and uh, we have them all over the place. But I, anecdotally, uh, I was down in the Carolinas a few years back, down in the states. Ron, there's it seems like there's one every half mile down there. It's a kind of an economically depressed part of the United States in many places. These things that they're omnipresent, and there's three big names in the sector. There's Dollarama, Dollar Tree, and Dollar General, the three big publicly traded ones. And, of course, there's a lot of private ones as well. But, you know, Dollarama has been uh, looking at hiring a lot more employees, so of the, the U.S. dollar stores, because demand has been incredible. When you are laid off, you're looking for things that you can buy that will fill your stomach for a low price, and if you need basic items, you want to try and buy stuff. It might be cheap, but at least you'll have it, and it'll get you through the hard times. So when the economy's in a tough place, these types of discount stores really thrive. And the final one, and we've touched on this sort of in our emergency pandemic broadcast of a couple of weeks back, and that's gold. The U.S. government is talking about a $4 trillion bailout. It might look or it looks like right now the bailout might be two trillion but they are talking about putting that through right away and if they need more uh they've got the headroom to add more they're looking at a thousand dollar per person check in the mail for everyone in and you look at countries around the world are initiating similar plans and since very few governments have the financial resources to pull this off that it means that they're going to print and borrow massive amounts of money to make this happen. And eventually this will be inflationary. When it becomes inflationary, interest rates go up. And, of course, that's the time to buy gold uh, in coins or bars as protection. I think that that is a lot safer way to buy gold and get a, a position in it than owning the underlying stocks themselves. Well, big issue, Ron. Uh, lots to think about here. I think we've touched on some key points that we can give some of our listeners some good advice on. And, and, and just to be thinking about this, to be prepared and keep an eye on things. Uh, if, you, if you sense that maybe things are starting to turn the corner, then jump in there. Get yourself into some of those stocks that you favored over the years. That would be your best advice? Yeah. As I say, your best thing you can do right now is put a cold rag on your head and lay down on the couch until the panic or the fear, feelings of fear and creep go away, and then just patiently watch and see what happens. If it's a, it looks like it's a V-shaped recovery, it's going to happen fairly quickly. We get the virus under control, then get in aggressively. If it looks like this could go on for 18 months and then the ongoing recession lasts a couple of years beyond that, well, then it's time to look at some of these other names like telecoms, e-commerce, dollar stores, gold. Uh, they'll protect you through the bad times. So there's two different strategies here, and we just have to patiently wait and see which one of these two we should execute. But frankly, if you don't have a plan going into a problem, 
making one up as you go along is hard. So what I wanted to try and do this show is just give everybody an idea of a couple of things that they could look at, a plan A, a plan B, and of course you can revise this to make it a little more particular to your own needs. But this just is to give you an idea of how you should be thinking when you have a pandemic and you just don't know the outcome. Well, this is all unfolding a lot of blocks along the way here, Ron. And and our next episode, we want to talk about how this virus can really be an economic game changer. I think that's already happening. So we'll flesh that one out in our next episode. Remember, if there's something you want to review, you can find all our episodes at our website, letsmakemoney.ca. And if you have a question pertaining to what we've covered today or something you think we may have left out, shoot us an email and we'll try to help you out if we can. We're back next week with another edition of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.